You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to www.3cr.org.au. This program is being broadcast on the land of the Kulin Nations. We recognise their unceded sovereignty and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We live and work on stolen land. to Uprise Radio. I'm James and joined as always with Jackson. Hello, how are you? And today on the show we're going to be talking about a book that's come out um, fairly recently called Without Bosses and we've got the author of that book Sam Oldman here to talk about that and also from the company that uh, put that out, um, Interventions, Alex Etling. So Alex and Sam thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks James, thanks for having me. Great to be with you. This is part two of our interview with Sam and Alex. If you'd like to hear the first part of the interview in which we focus more on Sam's book, Without Bosses, uh, please find that wherever you find your podcasts. Enjoy the show. Alex, do you have any thoughts on, on new, new formations of, of unions or like, you know, ways to get around the very draconian limitations that are placed on uh, large unions at the moment? Well, just to add that whatever the circumstance is that you're wanting to build your strength from the rank and file and like what you get from without bosses really is this sort of range of different uh, strategies and tactics that workers had at their disposal, um, whether that's work-ins or strikes or, or whatnot. Part of one of the difficulties of being a um, you know organising in your workplace is that there there isn't a, a step by step easily transposable yeah way that you can just go uh, apply it to every workplace. They're all different, and so the the way that you can really improve your chances is by knowing your history and just knowing what's worked before, what's failed before, and then being able to sort of bring it up into the present day. I think some of the examples, perhaps, um, you know, like union solidarity and workers solidarity that have tried to kind of bridge, I guess, some of that gap between community support and community um, engagement with existing unions. And, you know, I guess there's, there's some lessons to be kind of learnt from, from those uh, campaigns and groups as well. But I guess, yeah, part of the problem as well is that if the 
the union leadership itself, you know, we see huge fines to um, unions like the CFMEU and, you know, that they pay those fines rather than challenge the legitimacy of fining workers for uh, standing up for their rights, health and safety issues, et cetera. So I think, you know, it, it needs the unions themselves to be able to stand up to that kind of thing. But that, that needs, a, I guess, a strong workers' movement to support the unions in that process. Just one quick thing. I mean, it has been said to me that one of the differences now then to Clary O'Shea's day is that, you know, if, if you refuse to pay your fines, well, the government just clicks a few mouse clicks <laughs> and takes the money out of this sort of online banking um, sector. It's a little bit different to what Clary O'Shea did of like refusing to hand over the books in this sort of dramatic way. But mm. I, I don't think that invalidates um, in a way the overall approach. And all the time you see, you know, basically unions are about organising a collective counterpower to the interests of the boss. And part of that is just putting the bosses under pressure to not call in those laws, to not apply those tactics. And, you know, frankly, illegal stuff happens kind of all the time on a micro level on both ways. So, you know, the more that you have a well-organised workplace at the rank and file, the better your chances are. I think, yeah, you say on both sides, and I think over the past couple of years we've seen a campaign emerge about wage theft and particularly, you know, around hospitality retail sectors that, uh, you know, has been, I guess, fairly obvious to a lot of, uh, you know, workers and people that are interested in looking at the space we're looking at today that, you know, the bosses are committing, um, you know, breaking laws constantly in the way that they employ people and the way they treat people at work. And, uh, you know, I guess it's just highlights how much of an uneven uh, playing field the whole thing is. Yeah, Sam, I wondered if you could um, reflect on kind of some of the similarities and differences between the environment in the 1970s and the environment today, you know, because like you said, the 1970s was a time of full employment, you know, we're heading towards a time of maybe double digit unemployment, you know, and there's some different circumstances i wonder you know which historical lessons um from, uh, from your research i thought you just had to hide from a security guard there but uh from your from your research I, you know is there any kind of specific lessons that you think are very useful for today's struggle i mean as, as you've all sort of touched on uh it is a very different environment i mean it's a different it's a different industrial relations environment different legislative environment at the centre of, of the struggles, I don't know what can be necessarily be taken from this, but at the centre of the struggles in the 70s was the system of industrial awards, um, and you know, which allowed for you know, industry-level uh, bargaining and industry-level uh, action. Um, and then the over, and then at, at the enterprise level, you had the sort of overall or the over-award agreements, so people go above, above, you know, over and above the award. Obviously, that today, you know, awards take a much less significant place in the industrial relations uh, framework, and it's you know, uh, it's enterprise bargaining, which I don't, I don't think, and I don't think enterprise bargaining is a very uh, is very conducive to militant union activism. I think it sort of pits, pits workers against each other. I mean, you still can't un undertake um, secondary boycotts. It's really hard to organise a strike. Um, uh, and you know they say 
think it was Tom Bramble who's you know sort of has said um, you know negotiating without strike negotiating without the possibility of strike actions begging uh, so it's a, and with something like that ensuring integrity bill which is just you know literally a uh, crime um, you know the the ILO you know has basically the ILO actually censured the Labour government for the Fair Work Act. Uh, but, you know, Labour lawyers are saying that this ensuring integrity bill that the Liberals have been trying to get through um, is just a flagrant sort of crime uh, against against the principles of international labour law. Uh, and all of that is, all of that poses really, really formidable challenge for, um, for workers and unions today. Uh, the other shift, I mean, you could talk about a lot of changes. The other shift is, you know, with neoliberalism, um, and this is something I've sort of written my PhD on, um, is this sort of cultural shift, this ideological change, um, which, which, which makes it hard for people to sort of think about joining a union and, and, and basically puts union values down the list, if you like, in favour of sort of, uh, you know, individual values. Um, this, you know, for example, we have this, you know, entrepreneurs today are celebrated as sort of cultural heroes and icons. You know, Elon Musk is seen as like this, you know, the new, the second coming. You know, um, and that's that pose, that itself poses a real problem. Well, if we can't see bosses as posing, or well, I should say, the capitalist class as posing a real danger to, you know, um, to the, you know, to progressive, uh, to ha to having a progressive society. If you can't think with class consciousness, it just makes everything else really hard. Um, particularly within unions. So but, there's know, a lot of challenges, clearly. What about some opportunities? You know, like what? we were talking to Dave Karen the other week and he was saying that, you know, IT, information technology, and the, and the way the internet has been used under capitalism has, you know, ended up with Facebook and Twitter and all these nightmares. But there's potential there, you know, for direct democracy, for new forms of organisation. I mean, if you went to the BLM protests in Melbourne a few weeks ago, the amount of young people from all different mm -hmm. backgrounds on the street, and they are linking, you know, they are linking capitalism, racism, environmental degradation. 100%. They are making all of those links. And they are organised in the middle of a pandemic when we're not supposed to leave our houses. There's thousands of them out there. So, you know, surely there's some opportunities amongst all of this doom and gloom because the doom and gloom creates, you know, misery and we can 100%. live in a better world, you know? 100%. Um, and it, well, as you say, like, but the, the, what we've seen in the last couple of months around Black Lives Matter, I mean, that's absolutely incredible. I mean, you know, I mean, look, there's a lot, there's a lot to celebrate. There are opportunities. I mean, I'm not, I'm, you might have talked with Dave Kieran about uh, the Earthworker project. Mm. So, I mean, I think that to me, that's just absolutely a fascinating project. So, so Dave was involved with BLF in the, in the 70s, right? And, um, so he, um, he has a project now, the Earthworker Cooperative, they're a democratic um, worker-owned uh, set of cooperatives. Um, Earthworker itself is kind of an incubator organization. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, you've just talked to me. No, no, um, but, 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 and they incubate worker-owned enterprises um, uh, and, and, and support them into, you know, becoming successful cooperatives. So, you know, one that was founded a couple of years ago is the Red Gum Cleaning Cooperative. So this is worker-owned, um, but worker-owned cleaning cooperatives, um, <clears throat> democratically managed, uh, and cleaning. If you look at places like New York, cleaning is an industry that lends itself to cooperative um, formations because it's really low sort of capital startup. You know, it's just you, you need a van and a vacuum cleaner type thing. 
um, and mostly service public industries, which should, in many cases, you know, maybe I'm thinking idealistically, but should have some commitment to public values, which could be cooperative values. Uh, and there's people who've written about this. Um, you know, Richard D. Wolf is a really interesting sort of Marxist figure. Gar Alperovitz, from an American perspective. But I mean, there's always positive stuff happening, and you know, you're right to check me on that. It's not, it's not all just doom and gloom. Um, <laughs> I'm know. asking for my own benefit as well. I think one thing that um, in the cooperatives that really inspired me was the idea that when you have very large industries, and we still do, and public industries particularly, you know, like whether it be schools or security services, you know, maybe not the best example at the moment, but you know, these people need need uniforms. They need power in their buildings. They need kind of mass bought products that cooperatives could be delivering, you know, so you can create kind of like self, um, you know, like circular economic forms whereby workers are, are creating the tools that they need to, to do the work and it's all, you know, uh, worker owned and worker operated, you know, instead of, and then as you say, when you have worker owned and worker operated organizations, they lend themselves to improving the lived experience of workers so that money is reinvested in improving our societies, you know, green spaces and, you know, library services. And, you know, I think when you look back at the, the history of what unions are able to achieve, you know, and you look at things like mechanics institutes and places where, you know, we're looking at, you know, what's going on in, um, in universities and how much universities under the current government are going to be put out of the reach of everyday people. Well, what role can, can unions play in educating people? You know, I think which we were talking about at the start, you know, like when you have so much knowledge together in one, in one room and people interested in looking out for one another, I think you can make some some pretty incredible change. Coupled with those points by Jackson and Sam is that what people can do, I think, is that they should join their union to start <laughs> with and they should uh, pick up a copy of Sam's book, uh, Without Bosses, which, um, as Alex mentioned uh, a little while ago, you can uh, get from in other places. You can just type in um, and you'll find where to get it from. But you can also get it from an international bookshop from... The, you can go to the interventions.org.au website or from the Red Flag website. And even if you are in lockdown, you can have it delivered straight to your door. So you are listening to Uprise Radio today and we've been joined by Sam. And I think we might just um, move on from there and we might talk about the interventions group. So Interventions is an independent, not-for-profit, incorporated publisher, publishing left-wing, radical, socialist books uh, by Australian authors. And, you know, I think there's uh, almost 20 books published or available through the Interventions site now. I mean, I guess to start with um, Alex and Sam as well, do you tell us a bit about what Interventions is and, you know, I guess how it came about? I guess I'd just start off by saying what the motivations are for having something like interventions. And that is that we want to develop a, a culture of ideas in the, the Australian left. And that to do that, to do that, you need, um, you need the culture of debate and you need people to go out there and do the research and write, write books and go on to radio shows. And it's all part of it. Uh, an ecosystem to achieve that and it's not that there hasn't that there's not other publishers or there hasn't been other left-wing publishers but and you know if you want to go back into history you can go all the way back to the Australian Book Society run by the the Communist Party of Australia and and there's been lots of little uh, publishers all along the way 
Um, but we just saw that there was a bit of an opening there uh, to to give it another really big push for a sort of publishing group like this. And the main difference is uh, advancements in technology, really. Um, in the past, you had to um, basically take a punt on how many books you could sell, put out a lot of money to get them printed, potentially wind up with boxes of books in your shed for 20 years. Um, the way things go now, uh, we can meet up with authors, work through their books, and it's on um, essentially like a, a print-on-demand technology, which has advanced so much from, you know, people might have had experiences with that in the past, but things have really gone on in leaps and bounds. And it means books never have to go out of print. They're always there. You can access them all around the world through any catalogue. And, um, and we can, yeah, just get those those left-wing ideas out there and contribute to just do our little bit to, um, yeah, rebuild a culture of left debate in Australia. I'm interested a bit in, uh, you know, I really love the feeling of a physical book um, in my hand and I find it, you know, for me that's the best way to enjoy learning and reading about um, different things and, you know, particularly engaging in books. But I feel like there's been a bit of a path over the past few years where, you know, there was the death of books seemingly and, you know, people were buying e-readers and, you know, trying to read things on different devices and things like that. And, you know, we had a lot of bookshops kind of closing and I think publishing companies as well. But it seems over the past few years, it's kind of re-energised to a point where, you know, people are again wanting to engage in a physical book, you know, they're wanting to debate these ideas, as you say. And particularly, you know, we were talking before about Black Lives Matters. Well, particularly over the past kind of few months and, you know, obviously coronavirus has played a big part of that. We've seen a massive re-energization of people wanting to read books and to be like, this is the way that I want to engage in my learning. I don't know if you, speak a bit about that or, you know, how those kind of things have impacted on starting up interventions? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like people have been talking about the death of the book since maybe the 50s when television came in and they're stubbornly hanging around. And, you know, um, there's e-books and there's podcasts and there's all sorts of different ways to get ideas, but um, clearly the form of the book is just something that people want. And, you know, maybe one day it'll all disappear into a puff of smoke, but it really hasn't shown any signs that that's going to happen, given that we already have all these other ways to get, um, uh, to learn about ideas. So, and, you know, there there is a flourishing scene of independent left-wing publishers around the world, people who listen to this um, show probably will go to their bookshelf and might have something from Verso or bookmarks on the shelf or, and we want to do something like that for Australia. And, you know, we're a, we're a not for profit and we're run by, you know, activists and left-wing historians and we have a diverse background of people on our management team. So we really want to, kind of put interventions out there and get it known that it's sort of the, it's the publisher 
for the Australian left and for activists out there that they can, you know, we definitely accept um, ideas for for books and for people who want to get involved and volunteer with us and help push out these ideas. And, you know, you can go to our website, but, you know, email us at info at interventions.com.au if you've got a book proposal. Um, we want to have a, you know, an organic culture of, of basically like activists and left-wing people out there learning, but researching, you know, potentially there'll be people um, having inspiring experiences as uh, activist organisers or in their workplace. And those ideas will become books at some point, hopefully, and help people learn those lessons. It's cool. We were asking before about, you know, um, some encouragement in the landscape at the moment. And I think you've just given us some great optimism uh, with this project, Alex. So thanks for the work you're doing to set it up. Can you, can you tell us a bit, about you know some books you've got coming up soon some books that are coming out things that you're particularly excited about well i think if you've um, been interested in this show and without bosses you'll also likely be interested in um, a book by liz ross which is um all about the accord and uh, basically a criticism of the accord and with hopefully get her onto the show at some point in the future. Um, we've got books uh, probably coming up later this year. We've got I Spy by Karen Throssell, which is on the themes of state surveillance during the Cold War, which led to the death of, of her father, actually. And we've got another book um, called Handsome Man by Wayne Murdoch, which is um, a story about an intriguing figure in early Melbourne queer history. So there's really a diversity of of uh, subjects and, and topics coming out there. And, and in the pipeline, we've got books about the impact on, of, um, of the mining industry on the environment and Indigenous people. We've got books in the works on anti-fascism and the politics of the Great Depression and uh, the history of draft, re draft resistance in Australia and the Vietnam moratorium. So... Yeah, if, if there's a, a topic that concerns left-wing-minded people in Australia, um, interventions probably has something on the way and would be interested in publishing what you have out there. I really like the way that you um, spoke about the ability to choose a book or the way that somebody might be inspired to write before because I think that it can seem like such a daunting, you know, and very difficult thing to manage that, of course, I could never write a book, but, you know, I think that there are a lot of people that we, or movements, social campaigns, things that we, and, you know, listeners have been involved in. And those stories do need to be told and we do need that history documented. And I, I think that was really important and really great the way you broke it down there that made it perhaps accessible for people who are listening that might be able to get in touch and share some stories that they've been involved in. And also just we want things to be accessible. So we're not an academic publisher. So, for instance, Liz Ross's book, Stuff the Accord, Pay Up, you know, she's done exhaustive research on that and, and other people have done um, exhaustive research on that period of the, of the Labor movement and the Labor Party. Uh, 
but it's really important to be able to write that and package that in a way that's accessible to ordinary people. And, you know, Sam was saying earlier about that there is a sort of declining awareness just about what unions are. And so the way that Without Bosses is written, I think it's a really easy entry point for people to just understand what a union is and what it could do and to really explore those ideas. And, um, you know, our approach to working with authors, it's sort of a bespoke approach. We work with the author, figure out, you know, what, where their research, what they want to get out of it and to find an audience for those ideas. And how, how do you find that audience? I guess I'm interested in that. I mean, obviously, particularly at the moment, that's perhaps a bit difficult. Well, I mean, I guess on the one hand, people are interested in reading, but you can't necessarily have the kind of engaging events that you might have. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just chipping away at it in a lot of different different ways. So, you know, we you, you put out a book these days and you'll you know, have a launch, you'll go out into, um, like, we were going to launch Sam's book at the Marxism conference this year, which unfortunately was cancelled. So um, we'll hopefully have some launch events later on. But, you know, people are doing online launches and, you know, you'll go onto radio shows, you'll promote things, you'll just get them uh, into people's consciousness however you can. And, um, and the good thing about interventions is that as opposed to a mainstream publisher which really it might only have a few months of really caring about a book you'll give it a give it a red hot go and if it if it captures the imagination then it goes off like a rocket but if not it will be completely forgotten about or go out of print or be completely inaccessible with interventions like a lot of our topics they are enduring and you can always get them they don't they'll never go out of print so um, we would encourage people like if you've been interested in the conversation we've had today to go on to our Facebook page and you'll find a link to this podcast you'll find a link to to Sam's work and other authors and to to share it around and just create create a bit of buzz around the idea of left-wing publishing like as I said we're we're not a for-profit uh, group so this is as much your publishing company as it is ours. And what I guess, um, yeah, that's, again, I think that's a really important message to kind of bridge that, some of that gap with people. And what is the process to get books? You know, do you have a process in which you decide this is an important thing to be engaging with at the moment or, you know, how do you prioritize the kind of, um, offers of people coming to you to decide what kind of books to publish? So, so if, if you go to interventions.com.au, you'll see a, uh, a tab at the top, which is for authors, and it takes um, any prospective authors through what, what they have to do if they want to make a submission. And, um, you know, that, that's for us to get an idea of, of what the project's about and what the potential audience might be. And we have a management committee which comes has a diverse background of people on that management committee and we just talk about whether um, it's something that fits in with interventions. And we always give good feedback if it's not appropriate. But, um, 
Yeah, it's always a question of do, do these ideas have have a resonance? Is there an audience for these ideas? And and how would we go about helping that author? Make, yeah, make that connection. You've been listening to Uprise Radio with James and Jackson. I want to thank our guests, Alex and Sam. You can hear the rest of our interview on the podcast. And we're going to head out today with Tom Waits with his song Talking at the Same Time from his album Bad As Me. Thank you.